You can turn to Philippians chapter 1 with me now. As you go to Philippians 1, let me ask you a question. Do you know what tomorrow holds? I know you know what you have planned for tomorrow, but that's not the question. You know what tomorrow holds. You know what's going to happen tomorrow. Let's face it, none of us knows any better than the next person what's going to happen tomorrow, right? Or next week, or next month, or next year. We don't know the difficulties that that lie ahead for us. We don't know about the joys that await us either, do we? For some, when we start talking like that, it stirs up it stirs up fear. For some, there can be fear when thinking about the fact they don't know what the future holds. Just thinking about what lies ahead for us as Christians. When we look at the world today, and we can see what's going on, and, and do you know that there are Christians having their lives snuffed out for being Christians around the world? In, in, the, in the day in which we live right now, bombings and, and tragic murders and people storming into churches around the globe and taking, taking the lives of those who, who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and who dare to stand for Jesus Christ. And you look at the culture we live in, and it seems like it gets more and more sinful every year. And as Christians, we might say, I wonder what's in store for us as Christians in America. Right now, it, it seems like we have great liberties, but it seems like things are getting tighter. We don't know, but we do know this. We do, we do know that God is in control, right? We do know that he has blessed us with his word and by his spirit, and he has given us courage from, from within by the work of the word and the spirit to trust him every day, no matter what comes. As Christians, we can see the decline of morality in our country, and that may cause fear over the uncertainty of it all. Or maybe for you it's a serious health issue, or, or maybe for you it's uh, your marriage is not what you want it to be, or maybe for you it's your finances don't look the greatest, or maybe for you it's your children who have you concerned, or maybe for you it's your parents who have you concerned, right? None of us know what the future has in store And for some, that may cause us to worry and fear. But when you listen to God's word, when you listen very carefully to God's word, you find real hope, real assurance, real confidence. God's word does tell us, does it not, tells us not to worry about tomorrow when it instructs us not to be anxious about tomorrow with verses such as Matthew 6.34, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Well, there you go. Easy as that, right? (laughs) Not so easy, is it? Yeah, we know tomorrow will worry about itself, but I'd like to help tomorrow worry about tomorrow, okay? Sufficient for the day is its own trouble, says Matthew 6.34. Yes, in other words, you have enough to deal with today. And I think we can probably agree with that. So don't worry yourself with tomorrow's concerns. That sounds good. Don't worry about tomorrow. That sounds good. But being honest with ourselves, most of us would have to admit that there are times when we do worry about tomorrow. And we wonder about what the future has in store for us. There are times when we do think about the future with great concern. But what we need to understand is that worry 
robs us of our joy. Do you realize that worrying about tomorrow robs you of today's joy? We need to learn that. We need to be motivated and challenged by that, that we ought not worry about tomorrow because God wants us to know his joy today. And if we're thinking about tomorrow instead of the joy he has for us today, we are really shortchanging ourselves. When you spend your time worrying about what may happen tomorrow or what might not happen tomorrow, you lose your joy for today. Have you ever heard the name Corey Tenboom? Many of you have. Corey Tenboom was a godly Christian young woman who, with her sister and her Christian parents, helped many Jews escape the Nazi Holocaust. They were eventually imprisoned for their actions. She had it very difficult. She and her sister and her family for, for some time. She lived through that period of time. She wrote after that and has written some wonderful uh, books to, to challenge and encourage Christians. They were eventually imprisoned, so they knew great hardship. She lived through that period of time facing severe struggles and very difficult days and no doubt spent many a night uncertain about the future or uncertain about what the next day was going to bring, let alone a week from then or a month or a year. But, but she had gained an incredible courage. She had, she had gained an incredible confidence that gave her the ability to see beyond tomorrow and know that God was in control of it all. And she says this, she writes this, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. I love that. She also said this, and I take great joy in this, God has no problems, only plans. Praise God. That, that we need that reminder, right? God's not wringing his hands in heaven. He's not, got no problems. He's just got plans. Another godly example is that of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. Do you recognize that name? Some of you do. Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, who were missionaries to the Aka Indians, took their family and went to minister with other missionaries to the Aka Indians. Jim and a few of his fellow missionaries lost their lives at the hands of the very people they were trying to win to Christ. What's remarkable in that story is that these men all had sidearms and, and long arms for protection, and yet they did not use them to defend themselves. Following that severe hardship, Elizabeth and a few other missionaries actually returned to try to keep winning the Aka Indians to Christ, and in fact did win, win many to Christ. Jim Elliott and his fellow servants of Christ certainly had a, a faith-filled, proper perspective on the future. It's evident in the, this statement that Jim Elliott wrote once. He wrote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And Jim Elliott was talking about giving your life, giving your whole life. Not giving your life sacrificially, but talking about giving your whole life that God has given you to live. Giving it all for the cause of Christ. He knew deep down it was worth giving his all. Giving everything that he had to take the gospel to the Aka Indians because he knew he couldn't lose the gift of eternal life found in Jesus Christ. He knew that was his. He knew he was kept. He knew he was eternally secure. 
And he knew he couldn't lose that which God gave him, which he could not earn on his own. He knew it would be worth even giving his life if that's what it took, if it meant the gospel of Jesus Christ was advanced. And ultimately, he did give his life. And many of his missionary partners gave their lives with him on that day. So how could people like Corey Ten Boom and Jim Elliott and his fellow missionaries, and we come to Philippians and see Paul's life, how could these people have such courage and joy in the midst of such uncertainty? How could these people serve with such obvious joy in the face of, of unknown, of an unknown future? I want to find out. Let's find out together. Let's look together at Philippians 1, and I want you to go with me to verse 20. And looking at verse 20, I want you to see with me this morning how Paul was able to face an uncertain future with joyful confidence. Verse 20, as we continue here in our study in Philippians 1, as it is my eager expectation and hope, that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, as we've seen in our previous studies here in Philippians, Paul was, Paul was in prison, and he was very likely facing execution because of his witness for Christ. And he didn't know what was in store for his future. He knew there was the potential that he could be executed for his faith. He knew it was possible also that he might be released. But he didn't know either way. And in spite of his uncertain future, Paul has this, look at it again in verse 20, he has this eager expectation and hope. Now that seems like, I mean, to my earthly way of thinking and my human way of thinking and your human way of thinking, that seems like a strange thing to say when you're facing possible execution for your faith. I don't know. Let's see. I might be released. Or I could be executed. So I have this eager expectation and hope. That seems like a strange thing to say. Note what he doesn't say. He doesn't say right before this, you know, I'm really discouraged. I'm really depressed. I'm really down about my future. I really don't know what's going to happen. I'm really worried about tomorrow. He doesn't say that, does he? Now, does it mean those fears didn't come? Does it mean that he didn't fight with those kinds of thoughts? I don't think it means that. It's possible. It's very possible he had those, those thoughts. What about tomorrow? But he can say, no, he says, it is my eager expectation and hope. Those are not the words of a man who's fixating on what he doesn't know. Here's a man who's focused on what he knows. Here's a man who, who has confidence because of what he knows. And what he knows causes him to say he has this eager expectation and hope. Those are not the words of a man who is allowing himself to be discouraged by what he doesn't know. So how was Paul able to face an uncertain future with joyful confidence? This phrase here 
in the, in the English Standard Version, this eager expectation, says one commentator, describes straining one's neck to catch a glimpse of something that is ahead. You ever do that? Straining one's neck to get a glimpse of something that's ahead. We do that from time to time. We just want to see. You have to see what's going on over there. What's, what are you doing? We, uh, I took Jacob for, Jacob had a birthday last week and I, and when, when the kids turn 16, I take them out to dinner and we, we went to supper together and then we decided to catch the, the football game in Ross Common. And the only problem was we were running a little late. We got there at halftime and it was raining and the score was 21 to nothing. And we looked. It was like, oh, cool. The Bucks are winning 21 to nothing. Because it says, what does it say on the scoreboard? I think it says Bucks up here, right? I can't remember where's Jake. And we got there and we moved further down and then we thought, oh, wait. It says home over there, and that says zero. Oh, bummer. We were straining to see. You know, we were, we got there, it was like, oh, we got to look closer to the scoreboard to see who's winning. It was 21 to zero. And Ross Common was losing. We're like, oh no, we're straining to see, so we're straining to watch the game. Come on, you know, come on, you guys can pull this out, right? We do that sometimes. We strain to see. You're driving down the road. You can't quite see what's ahead. The fog is a little thick, and you're wondering, is there a car up there? You're straining to see. You're eager. You've got to find out what's coming, right? This was Paul, but he was doing the straining with an eager expectation. The idea of straining to see what what's ahead, coupled with the word hope, gives us a clear picture of Paul's confidence. He has great confidence in what God has in store. This wasn't simply wishful thinking, mind you. Know that. He's not saying, boy, I just hope it all turns out well. (laughs) He's not using the word hope like we use the word hope. Like going to the game the other night, Jake and I were like, we hope it's not raining. (laughs) It was. But it didn't last long. We weren't too wet, so that's good. And we weren't alone. Or I hope I I get a raise soon. I I hope I get a raise soon. Or... I hope my team wins, or whatever it is we're hoping about. I hope my investments do well, or I hope my insurance doesn't go up, or whatever, right? I hope my health holds out. We often use the word hope that way to describe what we wish will happen, right? I'm just I'm just wishing the right things happen. That's not how Paul was using hope. Paul uses here eager expectation and hope, and he communicates great confidence. His hope was a certainty, It was a certainty in the Lord, in the Lord's work in him, and that's in spite of an uncertain future. I think we can be challenged by that and encouraged by that. I think we should be both because sometimes we don't have the hope that we need, the confidence in our Lord that we need, right? To look at tomorrow and say, God's in control of that. I'm going to have joy today. And there are two things here I see in Paul's example in which he had confidence. First of all, he had confidence that he wasn't going to be ashamed, that he would not be ashamed. He says, it is my eager expectation and hope, look at it, that I will not be at all ashamed. So he wasn't ashamed of being imprisoned? What's wrong with you, Paul? You should have been ashamed that you were in prison. He's, he's saying, wait a minute, I haven't done anything wrong. I have only served the Lord Jesus Christ. I have, I have sown the seed of the gospel. I'm preaching so that people will know Christ. If you put me in prison for that, then I know God's in control over that too. And I'm going to trust him. He is sovereign. He is mighty. And he must have some purposes that I'm not quite seeing yet, but I'm going to trust him even in that. That was Paul's confidence. So he knows I'm not going to be ashamed. 
I will not be ashamed. Paul has, was the opposite of ashamed. You see, Paul even expected to remain bold also as he had in the past. Look at verse 20 again. See how he says here in verse 20, but that with full courage now as always. So Paul expected to remain bold, to stay courageous, whether he was released or whether he was held or even lost his life, whether he was able to go on preaching the gospel or whether he died. But please note this. This is not Paul being self-confident. This is not confidence in himself. This is not Paul bragging about what he can do. We know this because of what we've been studying here. And all we have to do is back up a verse, right? No, he's, he's testifying to the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. Do you see verse 19 where he talks about that? Just as we saw last week in verse 19, Paul knew that it was the help of the Holy Spirit that he had in his life, and this was giving him courage and confidence to know, I will not be ashamed now, and I will not be ashamed in the future. I will, may, I will remain courageous because I have the Spirit of God at work in me, and I'm trusting in God's promises. And so he can say he has an eager expectation and hope with full courage now as always that he would not be ashamed of the gospel now or in the future. He knows as long as he's depending on Christ, he will not be ashamed. He will remain courageous. He will face the uncertainties with confidence in the Lord. That courage was Paul's by way of the Holy Spirit's work in him. And if you remember from last time, remember this. If you don't, I don't care. Just remember this now. You have the Spirit of God at work in you. If you're a follower of Christ, you have the Spirit that Paul had working in him. And the same confidence that Paul had, you can have. Do not look at Paul and say he was a superhero. He ripped open his robes and he had a big S on his shirt. You know, right, for super saint. He's super, right? No, he's like us. He suffered. He faced hardship. We know he had a, he calls it a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it is, but we know he suffered and he had sins that he struggled with and he had things that he faced like we do. And yet, with the Spirit of God at work in him, he says, I have confidence. I have confidence to face tomorrow. Whatever it is, This is the Holy Spirit's work in Paul. That is the Holy Spirit's work in you. As God's child, the Holy Spirit indwells you to give you this confidence too. Commentator William Hendrickson says that the Holy Spirit will never permit Paul to seek an easy way out of his imprisonment, for example, by denying his Lord. On the contrary, He will equip the apostle with unfailing courage, literally complete outspokenness, a courage which reveals itself in a frank and unhesitant proclamation of the good tidings of salvation to all who are willing to listen and which has as its source confidence in God and in his promises the confidence of one who knows that at all times he can approach his God without fear. And he knows this because his God indwells him by way of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Now note also that not only was Paul confident that he would not be ashamed, but note this, and this is important. We keep coming back to this here in Philippians 1 because this is important. 
Look at where Paul's focus is. He knows, number two, that Christ will be honored. That Christ will be honored. We could say that Christ would be magnified. That Christ will be glorified. He says, look at the second half of verse 20. He says, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Whether Paul lived or whether he died, all that mattered to him was that Christ would be honored and glorified and that Christ would be magnified. I have spoken to people who have faced death with that kind of an attitude, and it is a glorious, God-glorifying attitude to say, I don't know what's going to happen through this surgery, through this really serious circumstance in my life. I don't know what's going to happen through this situation, but I know God's in control, and I know God's going to be glorified with whatever answer he gives. And so I'm just trying to respond the right way so that God would be glorified. That is a tremendously God-glorifying attitude and it is incredible and wonderful and praise, praise God when we see it in God's people. Praise God when we, when we know that's our attitude. That whatever comes, Christ is going to be honored. Is that your desire? I challenge you today to think carefully about that. Think about your own life. I have to ask myself that often. Is that really my heart here? Or am I being selfish? Or am I wanting my own way? Or am I thinking about what I want? Or am I thinking about what will honor Christ? I think we probably have to ask ourselves that a multitude of times every day. Whether Paul lived or died, all that mattered to him was that Christ would be honored that Christ would be glorified, that Christ would be magnified, that he would be made much of, that people would see right through Paul and see Christ instead. Warren Wearsby says about this, does Christ need to be magnified? (laughs) Good question. His answer, after all, how can a mere human being ever magnify the Son of God? Well, the stars are much bigger than the telescope, and yet the telescope magnifies them and brings them closer. The believer's body is to be a telescope that brings Jesus Christ close to people. To the average person, Christ is a misty figure, says Warren Wearsby, in history, who lived centuries ago. But as the unsaved watched the believer go through a crisis, they can see Jesus magnified and brought so much closer to the Christian with the single mind Christ is with us here and now the telescope brings distant things closer the microscope makes tiny things look big to the unbeliever Jesus is not very big other people and other things are far more important But as the unbeliever watches the Christian go through a crisis experience, he ought to be able to see how big Jesus Christ really is. The believer's body is a lens that makes a little Christ look very big and a distant Christ come very close. Well put. That's challenging. You ought to be a lens. You ought to be that microscope that magnifies Christ for the world around you 
Oh, that we would be that as a church. Oh, that we would be that as God's people. A magnifying glass, a microscope that makes Christ big. That was Paul. That was his attitude. And that was Paul's confidence that Christ would be honored, that Christ would be magnified through his life or through his death. Either way, he was confident that Christ would be exalted. You see, bringing honor to Christ through his life or death was all that really mattered to him because he was not living to promote himself, but he was living to bring glory to Jesus Christ. You know, that's what God calls his people to today, that we would live to bring him glory, that we would not live to self, that we would live to bring Christ glory. And as we've seen here, we've seen this before. This was why Paul was able to have such joy. You want joy? Make Christ number one. Do you want joy today? Do you want joy tomorrow? Come what may, make it your aim to, to make Christ big. Not making yourself big, making Christ great. To make Christ clear, to magnify Christ. Paul's passion was that Jesus Christ would be honored in all that he said and did and in all that he faced. And I'm afraid we don't think enough about that ourselves. At least I know I can say that about myself. I need this reminder. I think we probably all need this reminder. Is it our passion that Jesus Christ would be honored in the decisions that I make, in the conversations that I carry, with the phone calls that I make, with the emails that I send, with the texts that I send, with the way I speak to my wife, with the way I speak to my husband, with the way I work on the job, with the way I treat people in our fellowship of the church, with the way I treat my neighbors, with the way that I drive. (laughs) Ouch. Is it my passion See what I mean? We have to constantly be asking ourselves this because Satan is constantly telling us just the opposite. You, you're it. You're you're number one. You're the only one waiting in line for this elevator in these 12 stories, okay? So you're most important. You know, that car in front of you, get around him. He's in your way, right? How dare he slow down in front of you? How dare he not use his turn signal? You should be angry, right? How dare your spouse not take care of, you know, whatever it was or... Right? Satan's always saying that. But what Jesus Christ says is, I came to serve, not to be served. You be like me. And that's what God calls us to be, as Paul was. Paul was thinking of Christ and making him known. And Paul had great joy. Do you realize that? How incredible that Paul did not make himself number one. He made Christ number one. And as a result, Paul knew joy. Let that be a lesson. Ultimately, what mattered most to Paul was that Jesus Christ would be honored in how he handled every trial, every difficulty, every circumstance, every conversation. Will Christ be honored in my life if I do that? If I say this? And so he would look at tomorrow and say, I have confidence 
I have every expectation and hope. I am eager to see what comes tomorrow because I'm resting and trusting in God. Is that where your focus is today on the Lord Jesus Christ and confidently trusting in what he is doing and what he has done? Are you confident in Christ that by work of the Spirit in you, Christ will be honored as you trust him, as you obey? If that is your focus, I am confident that you will know the same joy Paul knew. If you make Christ your focus for today and tomorrow and every day that God gives you, I'm confident that you will know the joy that Paul knew. Even as Paul faced hardships, you will face hardships. And yet you'll be able to know the joy of the Lord as your strength if you keep the perspective right, if you keep your focus right. Even in all the uncertainties of life. I quoted Corey Tenboom earlier. Here's one more quote from her. She writes, If you look at the world, you will be distressed. Uh-huh. She she knew that, and we still do, right? If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look at God, you'll be at rest. I like that. We need that reminder. Yes. You're going to see what's going on in the world, but don't fix your attention there. Yes, you're going to have turmoil in your life and difficulties, and you could look within, but don't look there. <laughs> I love the reminder from Corey Tenboom. Look to God, and you will be at rest. You will know joy. He is our hope. He is our strength. He is our confidence. And like Paul, we can say with him, if we have our eyes fixed on God's word and on God's promises and on the work of the Holy Spirit, we can say with Paul, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Oh, that 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 would be our praise-filled prayer today, that you, Lord, would be glorified no matter what comes, because I'm fixing my eyes. I'm setting my life's course on glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. May that be true of us. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, we do praise you and thank you for the wonderful examples from your word, the challenging lessons that we learn from the life of Paul and many, many others. We thank you for the lessons from those who have gone before us in in our not-too-distant past, not-too-distant history, those who have honored you by their obedience. I pray that you would lift up from our midst many, many people with lives like that, that we would all have lives like Paul's, like Corey Tenboom's, like Jim and Elizabeth Elliott's, like many, many others who've gone before you and have trusted you in the face of great uncertainty, knowing that you're in control, fixing their eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, setting the course of their lives on glorifying God. May that be our, our, our hearts also, Lord. May that be where we set our energies, our hopes, our aspirations, that we would make much of Jesus Christ that we would magnify him, that we would honor Christ, whether by life or by death or whatever happens in between. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.